Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. The word regenerate means to renew or restore something, especially after it's been damaged or lost. As we age, the cells of our body naturally lose their ability to combat disease. Our memory declines and we lose our zest for living. Joining us today is Sayer G, author of the book Regenerate. He's going to share how we are not prisoners of our genes. All of us have this innate, untapped potential for self-regeneration and radical healing. It's not just about surviving, it's about thriving. Don't go anywhere. This life-changing interview starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman. Changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an internationally recognized researcher, author, and lecturer. He's the founder of GreenMedInfo.com, the world's most widely referenced, evidence-based, natural health resource of its kind. In addition, he's an advisory board member of the National Health Federation and committee member of the Global Non-GMO Foundation. He's also a reviewer at the International Journal of Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine. Welcome to the show, author of Regenerate, Unlocking Your Body's Radical Resilience, Sayer G. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Freeman. It's uh, an honor to be here. Uh, it's great to have you with us talking about a topic, really, everybody with cells flowing through their body needs to hear, right? I mean, it's an important topic. Tell us what inspired you to write Regenerate. Amen to that. Yes. In fact, uh, what you said is what inspired me, which is that every day I wake up and I'm just always amazed at the health that is afforded to me, even though my own uh, personal healing journey to this point was very difficult having been born a sickly infant and having struggled throughout uh, decades actually to reach a place where I no longer needed medications or various surgeries I had undergone earlier in my life in order to feel that I could trust my body and I could start to experience the regeneration that I speak to in my book. So my goal was to really share my story in the hopes I'd help others with um, a similar reframing of their body, not so much that the genes are in the driver's seat of one's health destiny, but that we truly are and always have been. Yeah, I love when authors come on here and, and they share their story. You know, you were in the valley, you've been there and you had to climb up the mountain. I get a lot of authors, they write a book on arthritis, but they don't have arthritis. You know, you've been there, done that, and, and that's what I love about your experiences. Share with us, you know, many people, including doctors, blame genetics on why they have things like obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer. But in your book, you share how our genes don't determine our destiny. How so? Yeah, exactly. So it's a uh, concept, right, that's been... Uh, projected a million times over. I think all of us have heard that the genes that we inherit from distant ancestors are largely determining uh, our present health and our future health. And what I found so fascinating was that as I started to explore the history of the discovery of the human genome, and of course, what happened in 2005 when the first draft was completed, surprisingly, they could only find uh, about 20,000 protein coding genes to explain the miracle complexity of the human body, meaning one cell has 100,000 different proteins, so they couldn't even account for the simplest building block of life by that discovery. And so what that basically did is ushered in what they sometimes call the post-genomic revolution, which is acknowledging that factors beyond the control of the gene account for the complexity of our physical 
inform. And of course, when it comes to disease susceptibility and risk, we have to look beyond the factors that we once believed were locked in the nucleus of the cell as some kind of holy grail. And that is you know, why the work of Bruce Lipton and so many others out there has just really expanded our vision of how we actually in our lifestyle choices, our nutritional uh, patterns, you know, mind-body connection are actually uh, weaving our destiny in every single moment when it comes to health. So really, your book, you talk about the new biology. So has modern medicine really kind of missed the boat on the current knowledge of, of human biology? Yes, great question. Because see, what happens is it's well known that between the lag, okay, of a peer-reviewed published research, uh, you have your randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trials, which are the gold standard, right, for evidence-based medicine, between the discovery, the validation, and then the actual practice of those discoveries in terms of the standard of care, the delay is between 17 to maybe up to 40 years. And that's a problem because biology is constantly evolving, almost at the speed of light at this point. And many of the discoveries that uh, occurred around 2000, really, it was the millennial shift, we, we started to understand, for example, with the discovery of the human microbiome, that we are more, you know, germ, if you will, more viral, more bacterial and fungal than we are actual eukaryotic cell. And that discovery alone has ushered in profound uh, implications for uh, medicine and biology and nutrition. And, and most people still aren't aware of those implications. Yeah, most people don't realize that, you know, we're so afraid of germs, but we are germs. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. In fact, there's up to 11% of our uh, protein coding DNA is retroviral in origin. And that's a really bad word when it comes to virology, right? Like HIV right. is a retrovirus. Right. But yet we have to thank those retroviral sequences for things like the discovery that the placenta of mammals, right, is actually based on uh, a retroviral uh, set of uh, codes that if we hadn't had, you know, an exposure to an agent uh, virus, we wouldn't be mammals, for example. And there's so many other examples in biology and physiology of this being true. Yeah, I know in your book, you explore some fascinating new science on food being used as information. Tell us more. I'm, I'm always into new stuff on food. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, really, the basic... Um, premise is that whereas for many, many decades, uh, we believe food was primarily a source of calorie energy, right? right? And then right. Uh, building blocks, right, for the body machine, you know, you have proteins, lipids, carbohydrates, micronutrients, we start, we are starting to understand that actually food conveys uh, biologically essential information, which is contained actually in a number of different um, uh, things that are naturally found in in our food. So one of those things is actually uh, known as exosomes, which are these nanoparticles that look very much like viruses, actually. And they they are actually originally were called viral-like particles. They communicate um, horizontal information between individuals in a species and then across kingdoms. So meaning like a plant we eat will communicate information to our genome, which will then alter its expression. And so that really opens up our view of the body now being part of a really um, almost like a network effect. It's like a spiral of life with horizontal communication between species. And it opens up our view really of what it means to be incarnated and uh, within the biosphere. 
Right. So what are some examples? Let's say somebody is out there is very degenerative and they want to actually be proactive. Is there certain food-based approaches they can use? Absolutely. So one thing I, I like to communicate to people new to this topic is that, you know, for example, we all know that arthritis isn't caused by a lack of Vioxx or aspirin, or we, we know that cancer isn't caused by a lack of chemotherapy or radiation. But it is probably true that in the case of very serious diseases like cancer, you can say that it's a lack of certain foods that is causing this genetic aberration or breakdown we call cancer. And that includes ancient foods like berries and vegetables, fruits and nuts. Why is that? Well, we've discovered, thanks to the new biology, that they contain essential gene uh, modulatory regulatory uh, nucleic acids in these exosomes without which our bodies actually can't function appropriately. So it's a new way of looking at nutritional deficiencies, just not just a lack of vitamins or a lack of protein, it's actually a lack of information. And so when you look at the standard American diet, you know, look at McDonald's and genetically modified food and agrochemical laden foods, it's, it's really a prescription for degeneration. Whereas what we really need is simply what nature has always provided us which you might call the ancestral dietary framework. And that does exclude much of what we are consuming in modern times. Uh, so it really speaks to the value of what grandmother knew best, right? You know, eat your right. vegetables. Right. Yeah, now when researching for my book on, on food, I explored the Paleolithic diet in search of what our ancestors ate. And you devote a section in your book on this topic, and you share something new that I didn't know. You say consuming honey was an integral part of the hunter-gatherer ancestral diet, which could be the cornerstone for modern man's microbial health. Tell us why you're such a fan mm. of honey, and where did this come from? Thank you. Yeah, it was fascinating because there was a study published that showed that in the mid-gut of the bee, there's a strain of lactobacillus bacteria, right. right, the good bacteria, that they've identified to have likely been in that region of, of that species of insect for over 80 million years. Is a symbiotic relationship, not unlike what happens obviously in our gut. And what has happened in modern times, especially as we've gone through the event horizon of the Industrial Revolution, 1860s generally speaking globally, some call it the Anthropocene because we generated such an unnatural deviation from what was millennia of consuming foods that were just shot through with this good bacteria, good viruses, good fungi. There are actually things called good viruses. And it turns out that some people believe much of the health problems that we face today are from paleo deficiency, meaning the environment has been so altered where we're not being exposed to these ancient strains of beneficial bacteria. So one thing you could do is eat raw honey and it will potentially restore strains of bacteria that not only have you never experienced in, in your life, but maybe even for many generations. And the promise is that might help us to recapture a kind of health that we haven't known for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Great. Is there any particular type of honey you recommend? I know I'm a big fan of the Manuka honey. Is that on your oh. list? I love Manuka honey. It's so fascinating because it has such a profound effect on methicillin-resistant staph, for example. Right. Many studies now validating that it has this ability. Um, and so, but generally speaking, raw honey, uh, locally mm -hmm. procured, will have likely strains that 
will also help be specifically beneficial to your immune system because bacteria help to mediate the relationship between the human genome and the environment in such a way that you know the hygiene hypothesis is based on the concept you take away all these exposures to the the macrobiome if you will the viruses germs right. environment and you fall apart or your immune system blows back on itself in autoimmunity or th2 dominance so we actually do really need these strains from whenever possible locally procured foods locally stay local yeah that's what i preach as well and uh, you're no stranger to censorship which i found really on this show is a commonality between many righteous health crusaders and in march i wrote this science-based article on the viral killing and immune boosting properties of sunshine and after it received almost three million views on usa today uh, you know usa today they, they labeled it as fake news and newsguard fake news and you, you know the routine but i was happy to see this month on your website greenmedinfo.com a science-based article called the immunomodulatory effects of sunlight for our listeners that are hibernating indoors during this pandemic what advice can you share wonderful i'm so uh, happy to hear that you've been doing that kind of advocacy it's so important you know i think people are starting to understand that you know our bodies actually have an ability to harvest photonic energy through the mitochondria absorbing a particular metabolite of chlorophyll it's called pbe and it's a new study, but it puts us in the category between plants and animals known as photoheterotrophs. So we are able to actually harvest sunlight directly if we have chlorophyll in our diet. And that's a connection most people don't really look at usually. Um, but as, a, as far as the overall advocacy with sunlight exposure, I think that the most important thing to promote health is to mitigate non-native EMF, the type that comes from devices, blue screens, etc., Wi-Fi, and get out in nature and bathe yourself with as broad a spectrum as possible you can get from the sun. Now, the dawn and dusk hours are precious. And in ancient traditions, you can go back to, you know, the ancient Indian traditions. That's like an elixir of health, those red wavelengths. So the full sunlight exposure, the better. Right. And, you know, it's funny because I see SPF, lotions, makeup, clothes have, have, have it, even nail polish. Say, I saw a, uh, a sun protective factor on a nail polish. Heaven forbid we get a little sunshine through our cuticles and nails. It's ridiculous. Everybody's so afraid of the sunshine. But the truth is sunshine's not bad unless we sit out there and we get burned and we start turning red, right? Then it's endangering our skin. Absolutely. And of course, with the differences in melanin distribution uh, across different populations, the more you have, the better when it comes to sunlight exposure. But for those who don't have adequate levels, then we know that by consuming chlorophyll-rich and antioxidant-rich foods, we are able to not only mitigate the you know UVA-based uh, phototoxicity, but then also transform some of these wavelengths into metabolic energy, as well as, as you've pointed out, the downstream immunomodulatory properties of sunlight exposure are profound as far as antiviral activity, as well as producing um, a sulfated form of vitamin D, which Stephanie Steneff has done a lot of work on, which is totally different from the kind that you buy in pill form. Right. I know you're an outspoken advocate of a gluten-free diet. And, you know, many people that had no problems eating gluten 10, 15 years ago, they get GI distress eating it today. And my question to you is, has gluten changed over the years? Or do you feel our exposure to, you know, gut flora-destroying chemicals might be to blame for this gluten intolerance epidemic we're seeing? 
Great question. Yeah, I believe it's both. My colleague, William Davis, has done a pretty good job in Wheat Belly to talk about the change in starch composition uh, with modern wheat hybridization practices. But the another connection, although I think it's a little bit blown out of proportion, is the role of glyphosate as a pre-harvest desiccant. It's basically poisoning the food to accelerate a production process. Why I say it's over blown is because many are now saying, oh, there's no problem with gluten and it's just fine, it's just glyphosate. And that's not true. My, based on my research on Greenman Info, I've identified over 300 signals of harm in the biomedical literature on wheat having um, adverse health effects in the non-celiac uh, gluten sensitivity uh, category. So I believe no one should eat wheat, honestly, although fermenting can help. And of course, your microbiome determines how susceptible you are to uh, harm. But uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of gluten at all. Not a fan. I know in chapter five of your book, you talk about lifestyle medicine for brain health. And I read an interesting article that 12% of adults aged 45 or older are experiencing cognitive decline. It's really no longer an issue affecting senior citizens. Tell us why so many are suffering from memory loss. What's happening? Mm. There's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, we can go down to the psycho-spiritual level where there's right. this stuff we don't want to remember anymore because we're all so traumatized and a lot of it's intergenerational that's passed down. But there's some really basic physiological explanations. I believe that one thing to, to look at when it comes to neurodegenerative conditions as well as dementia is what they call type 3 diabetes, which is the brain doesn't do well with this high glycemic uh, and insulin-releasing diet and that using things like medium chain drug glyceride, rich foods, coconut, for example, sometimes you can see effects on memory that are within a matter of hours. And it speaks to how a lot of the conditions that are described as you know, intractable, chronic, idiopathic, are and incurable are actually just basic byproducts of a less than optimal diet. Right. That makes sense. What about people that, you know, is there a point of no return for people that have been smoking for decades or eating processed foods most of their life? Now they're having chronic diseases. Is there hope for regeneration if they turned over a new leaf today? Absolutely. In fact, I was going to open with saying that how I came to write on this topic is every day that I'm alive, I just have to acknowledge it's a miracle. You know, given what I know I'm exposed to daily, there's probably 100,000 novel new petrochemical derivative toxicants that we're breathing in or putting on our body or, or consuming daily. Our body is extremely resilient. We don't give it credit. In fact, the conventional medical system is designed to point the exact opposite uh, out, which is that we're weak and that we're you know, susceptible to disease. My belief is that there's always hope. It starts actually with recognizing that that is true and also giving yourself permission because a lot of people who don't heal actually don't feel they're worthy. And that's a, that's a sign of um, traumatization. And, and I feel like everyone is worthy and it's just about giving yourself permission and you can fully heal no matter what the condition is. Yeah, no matter what, you get a do-over. You just got to push it in the right direction. You know, it's, it's amazing the, what nature can do as well. Hey, for those not familiar with the greenmedinfo.com, tell us about this amazing resource of information. Thanks so much. Yeah, I started it in 2007 in my garage, just indexing research off PubMed. I was amazed to find at the time there were something like 24 million citations on this uh, national treasure house called the 
National Library of Medicine's uh, bibliographic, uh, you know, database and Medline. And so anyway, I started indexing research I didn't think existed until then and was shocked to find that there were 10,000 studies on the benefit of turmeric alone. So over 10 years, I built out a database of 10,000 health topics. It's all open access. You can go and review all the abstracts and and just kind of get a sense for, wow, you know, natural medicine is validated by science in a way we were never told is true. Yeah. And, you know, so many people just do a Google search and whatever pops up, they believe. And you got to be real careful, folks. You know, it's like that could be an advertisement, could be ulterior motives. So you do want to find a source like like this because it's, you know, as you said, it's unbiased. It doesn't have any ulterior motives. Isn't that the key to not have that third party that's benefiting from the science? Absolutely. And, you know, I guess I can't say we're unbiased in a way because everyone has methodological bias as far as selecting right. studies to feature um, that said, the reality is that um, med- medical literature, there's already a built-in bias. Pharmaceutical companies, they actually have no obligation legally to publish null or negative findings, so they can do 20 trials on a chemical, and then if one shows a small relative risk reduction in some endpoint, they can then market that as a multi-billion dollar blockbuster drug, and then no one's funding yeah. the benefits of vitamin C or lemon juice in, in water, so you don't really get a a fair description but what so i decided hey you know what even with that being true there's over a million published studies on the benefits of natural substances or therapies so i so that's what i wanted to do is just gather some together so people could see fantastic in the uh, 30 seconds we have left anything else you'd like to share with the listeners we didn't cover today Sure. I mean, the basic advocacy is uh, we send a newsletter out free every day for those who want to get updates on the research and events that we're doing. And then I have a Telegram group I set up because we're getting a lot of censorship, as you pointed out. We have over a million followers like throughout social media, but they're shutting down different posts that are factual, even referencing government research because there's an agenda, unfortunately, to suppress the truth about natural medicine. So our Telegram channel, you can find it under Greenman Info, and it's pretty much censorship proof. So that's one way to, to follow us is the newsletter, greenmaninfo.com forward slash newsletter or a Telegram channel. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. You shared some very useful tips on healing at a cellular level. So all you people with cells in your body, hopefully you took good notes. And the book is called Regenerate, Unlocking Your Body's Radical Resilience Through the New Biology. To get your copy or to learn more about Sayer G, go to greenmedinfo.com. And while there, be sure and check out some of the resourceful science-based studies and articles. And you can follow Sayer on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Green Med Info. For my daily Facebook and Twitter post, I'm at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Sayer share something today that would benefit somebody you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyougoodhealthradio.com or radiomd.com. Sharing is caring. Peruse our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. This information is too important to keep to yourself. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned, stay well, and regenerate.